Consecration is a it's an important spiritual act. It is one we, I would say, in our day and age, it's not something we have talked about, at least not the term consecration. Um, olden times, like when I was a kid, you, you heard preachers talk about consecration quite a bit. Um, and so if we may not have heard what consecra- heard the term or have understood it, in a general sense, consecration uh, refers to the act of dedicating yourself to a specific purpose or intention. Right? To consecrate yourself is essentially to wholly dedicate your something, to wholly dedicate yourself to something that you find to be of greatest importance. In a specific sense, in a religious sense, consecration is wholly giving ourselves or wholly devoting ourselves to God. It is where we give ourselves to God so completely we do God's will regardless of what that will may be. Uh, when we consecrate ourselves to God, God's priorities will be our priorities. We will prioritize what God wants done or not done over anything else that we would do in our lives. Now the idea of consecration is seen all throughout the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are, there's a lot of passages that deal with it, but one in particular is Joshua 3.5. We looked at it several weeks ago when we were talking about it. As they get ready to cross over the Jordan River. Uh, Joshua tells them to sanctify, the King James says, sanctify themselves and God will do wonders among them. In, in other translations, it says to consecrate yourselves. So they were having to devote themselves wholly to God and then God was going to work among them and lead them across the river. Another Old Testament reference, and one I want us to look at tonight, is found in 2 Kings 23. But we're going to start in 2 Kings 22. So, if you turn to 2 Kings 22, that should be page 302 in a pew Bible. And what's gone on in 2 Kings 22 is, Josiah has, has just become the king. Uh, he is a young man, and he is devoted to God Himself, and so He begins to lead the people back to God because they have spent years and years wandering and astray. And one of the first things Josiah does in order to lead the people back to God is to rebuild the temple which had been neglected during the the years of his predecessor. As the temple was being rebuilt, they come across a long-missing treasure, God's Word. And... As they find it, they take it to Josiah, they read it to him, and as they read it to Josiah, his heart is broken as he realizes how far from God he is, how far from God the people are. He sends a message to a a prophetess named Huldah to ask what needs to be done. She sends a message back from God that because his heart was tender and his heart was broken over it, that he would be spared. But all of the curses that were read in the law because of their sin were going to come to pass, but it would happen after his lifetime. So Josiah in chapter 23, he leads the people in an act of consecration. Right. So in, in verse 1 of chapter 23, the king sent and they gathered unto them all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Right. So They can't really gather all the people, so they get all the leaders. Everybody that is influential, everybody that has some sort of political power is brought up there. And what what they are going to do is somewhat, I'd say almost symbolically, they are going to make a renew their covenant to the Lord and consecrate themselves to God. Then those people are going to go back and kind of lead the people in their areas to do the same thing. So it's a way of leading the whole nation 
to consecrate themselves to God. Now, the word consecrate or consecration is not used in the passage, but the idea is there. If you look at verse two, it says the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests, and the prophets and the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the book or in the house of the Lord. So he reads to them God's word. Here's what God's word has said. Here's the covenant our people have made with God. And the king stood by a pillar and he made a covenant before the Lord. And here's where we see the idea covenant is kind of consecrate too, but we see it really here. To walk after the Lord, to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people stood to the covenant. So all the people agreed. So this was a a great act of Josiah is consecrating himself to the Lord. The leaders are consecrating themselves to the Lord. And it's an act of the whole nation going to be consecrating themselves to God. Right? And so it's this, they are wholly devoted to the Lord and what they're going to do again. They're going to walk after the Lord, keep His commandment and His testimony and His statutes. And that's just kind of saying all of it. There's not any aspect of God's Word they're not going to keep. And they're going to do it with all their heart, with all their soul. So they're going to enthusiastically do it and perform all the words of the covenant. So that's an Old Testament picture of of an act of consecration. But consecration isn't just an Old Testament concept, it's also a New Testament concept. Turn to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Page 866 if you have a pew Bible. Now this is a familiar passage. Uh, probably most of us can quote it in one way or another. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right? So we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? So we are to be wholly set aside for service to God and, and no longer... Toward the service of the world, right? This is why we're not to be conformed to this world. We devote ourselves to God so that we do His will and we're not fit into the pattern of the world. It's a very similar idea to what Josiah just led the people again uh, to do. Now again, the word consecration isn't here, but the idea surely is. Now what I want to do tonight is before we get to what it means to really... To be a living sacrifice, to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, is to follow Paul's reasoning. Because to consecrate ourselves, to wholly live for God and only unto Him, to devote ourselves to do His will, no matter what that will is, that's kind of a big thing. To say, I am going to be so devoted to God, I'm not going to fit in the pattern of this world any longer. It is a a big act, as we'll see in a few minutes. And the question some may have is, why? Why do I give myself to God in this way? Why do I wholly devote myself to do the will of God and prioritize His want for my life above all else? And Paul anticipates that sort of question, and so he answers it to begin with. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So the basic argument Paul is making is, be amazed at the mercies of God, be so amazed, in fact, That you joyfully and wholly commit yourself to do the will of God. That you consecrate yourself by offering your body as a living sacrifice. Now the the question could arise then, what then are the mercies of God? 
And the mercies of God that Paul is talking about is the stuff he has mentioned in the previous chapters. In, in typical Pauline way, what Paul has done is he has spent 11 chapters laying out the foundation, the doctrine of the gospel. And then he transitions to, because of these truths I've laid out in these previous 11 chapters, here now is how you live. You see this in pretty much all of Paul's books. So we wouldn't have time to go back and survey every aspect of what Paul has laid out as the mercies of God in the previous chapters. But as you see in the handout, that there are several that I do want to hit on. All right, so the mercies of God. First would be Jesus willingly died for our sin. Now this is the, the most basic element of the Christian faith. And the thrust of the message of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose again. And I, this is something we have probably, if you were raised in church as I was, you have heard this from your earliest memories. I don't, I don't have a memory of not knowing Jesus died for my sins. Right? I can't remember the first time I heard that story. Because I have been raised in church and have heard it so often and so much. And while that is wonderful, truly wonderful, one of the problems with that that could arise is we become so accustomed to that idea, Jesus died for our sins, that we forget how amazing that truly is. We forget that, that Jesus is God, who threw off a measure of His glory and, and came to earth and took on human flesh and lived a sinless life. Life and suffered a horrific death. And on the cross, all of the wrath of God against all of our sin was poured out upon Him. And essentially, He endured hell in our place. He, he did it willingly. Not because anyone made Him. Not because there was an outside force compelling Him. He did it simply because He loves us. And He wanted us to be saved. And when we really grasp how great it is that the God of the universe took on human flesh, died on the cross for our sins as a choice He made, well, we cannot help but be amazed at the mercies of God and then offer ourselves to God or consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. I mean, that is a, a natural response to what Jesus has done. Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sins. Romans 8.1 powerfully declares there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now as a disciple of Jesus, those who have been genuinely born again, we're not on probation with God to see if we'll blow it again. And to me this is one of those things that is most amazing. Right? If someone were to do something really terrible or big against me. I would forgive them. Not because I want to. Because that's not my nature. I would forgive them. Because the Bible says. To forgive them as God has forgiven me. But. Here's the harsh reality. Of how I probably would forgive. I would forgive. With them on probation. Right. Things wouldn't go back to being as they had been. There would be. An, a point to where. They could do it. And I would be like. I knew it. I knew you were just waiting to cross the line. I knew you would do that. That's just the kind of horrible human you are. Because that's just the kind of human I am. I mean, that's an, it's not a bragging thing. That's just the reality. 
of what I'm kind of like in my heart. And because we're like that, or because I'm like that, I can think God is like that. I can think that God has forgiven me, but I'm really on probation. And, and I'm walking a tightrope over the mouth of hell. And at any moment, I'm going to, to step off the line. And when I do, God's going to say, Aha! I knew it! I knew you were worthless. To hell with you. And off He would send me into judgment. And yet that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is we are free. Forever free of condemnation. Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed into our account the very moment... We believed in Jesus. So as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who are born again, we, we stand before God complete without any unrighteousness at all and because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, we are free, forever free from condemnation. How amazing is that? How amazing to know through Christ I am free from the penalty my sin has earned. When we understand the mercy of God shown us in that, that the, the natural response is to be amazed and to consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus freed us from slavery to sin. Romans 6 and Romans 8 wonderfully, beautifully explained to us. We have no obligation to do what the desires of our sinful nature want. Because Jesus has set us free. Now that's not to say we don't wrestle the flesh. We certainly do. Temptations are there. But Romans 6, Romans 8, and even some in Romans 7. Put it in the context of now we have a choice about who we submit ourselves to. Romans 8 specifically says we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. That means I am able to resist temptation and to choose to do what is right each and every time the temptation comes into my life. I mean, we have the ability to resist temptation, to flee from it and do what's right. Not because of our strength and our special abilities, but because of the, the way Jesus has changed us, because we have been born again, because the Spirit of the living God lives within us and empowers us in our life. I don't have to be a slave to my base desires any longer. I mean, when we understand Jesus has freed us from slavery to sin, we, we have no choice but to be amazed at the mercies of God toward us. And then to consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus has freed us from slavery to the law. In Romans 7, Paul explains we have been freed from slavery to the law. Now, part of what this means is we don't have to try to be good enough. Because our good enough is based upon what Jesus has done instead of upon anything we might do. Our salvation is not based upon our goodness. It is not based upon our obedience or our adherence to the law. Instead, our salvation is based upon how good Jesus is. And on the fact Jesus perfectly obeyed and perfectly fulfilled the law. Think about that. We 
do not have a performance-based salvation. That is an amazing thought. We don't earn our salvation and we don't try to earn our salvation. We receive it as a free gift and Jesus has freed us from the curse of the law so that we don't have to try to live in a performance-based relationship with God. We just receive His approval, His blessing, His love because of Jesus and what He has done. And when we understand we are freed from a performance-based salvation, well, we can't help but be amazed at the, the mercies of God that have been shown to us and, and consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. But God has adopted us as His children. We're told in Romans 8, we've been adopted as children of God through our faith in Jesus. Through this adoption, we're given the Holy Spirit who enables us to have a a father-child relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit that, that He gives us enables us to have confidence in our salvation. Right? The, the, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. And we've not received the spirit of fear bring us into bondage, but we've received the spirit of adoption and enables us to cry, Abba, Father. I mean, um, think about that. Abba was term of tenderness and, and love that one of the first terms kind of a a Hebrew child would learn for their dad. Um, but it was such a tender term, such an intimate term, the Jews typically didn't, re, didn't say that towards God. God was the father of their nation. They wouldn't really say He was their individual father. And they certainly wouldn't say He was their Abba, but Jesus did. And Paul took that and applied it and said, yeah, that's for us too. Think about the, the, the kind of relationship we're allowed to have with God because of what Christ has done for us. One of the things I've been doing lately, I try to find a passage each week to meditate on. And one passage I meditated on just a few weeks ago, in fact I did it for about two weeks, was in Ephesians 1 where it talks about our adoption. But it also talks about being adopted and it talked about being, this was all done by the good pleasure of God. And it talks about being accepted in the beloved. I mean, if we really believe that, that God has adopted us and we are truly His sons and His daughters, that doing this, it gave God pleasure to adopt us and make us His children. And we are accepted in the beloved. Not, not accepted in our performance, not accepted in our work, accepted in Christ. How freeing is that? How, how does that draw us closer to God in a deep and a legitimate relationship with Him? Man, when we understand we are adopted as children of God, accepted in the Beloved, we can't help but be amazed at the mercies of God that have been shown to us and, and consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. God has given us an inheritance with Jesus. And so part of being an adopted child of God is being a joint heir with Christ. As believers in Jesus, we have an inheritance waiting on us that the Bible says is pure and perfect, reserved in heaven just for us. It does not fade away. It cannot be taken away by man or the circumstance of life. 
we understand the, the inheritance we have in Christ, again, we cannot help but be amazed at the mercies of God shown to us and respond by consecrating ourselves to God through offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. God has given us an incomparable hope. This is, I think, especially in the kind of days we're living in right now where everything's kind of all messed up. The Bible says we have a hope so great the suffering of this life cannot be compared to the glory, the hope which shall be revealed in us. And I think this is one of those things we can't fully understand now because now we see our suffering and the hardship and the difficulties. And it's hard to imagine anything so great this can't even be compared to it. But the picture is when we get to heaven and we look upon Jesus and we see the streets of gold and all of the things are there. We're not going to be like, woe is me, my life was so hard. Right? We're, we're not even going to really think about this life as, as, a far, as a part of, man, that was hard or that was bad. The glory then is so great, we'll not think about how hard things might have been here. I mean, when we understand that, again, we be amazed at the mercies of God and Respond by consecrating ourselves to God. By offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. God has predestined us to be like Jesus. God has a plan for our lives. And that plan involves us being like Jesus. Now we may have been sinful and there may have been all kinds of terrible things before we were saved. But God, now that He has saved us, He has something better in mind for us. He, he plans to work in our lives, to change us at the core of our being so we are ever being changed into the likeness of Jesus. Change our everything. What a mercy, what a grace has been bestowed upon us. How could we not be amazed at that plan and God's desire for that and God's working toward it and consecrate ourselves to God and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? And then the last one that we'll talk about tonight, there's many more. God has made us more than conquerors through Christ. Now Paul was very honest throughout the book of Romans, particularly in chapter 8, about the fact we may suffer in this life. Suffering is a part of life. But suffering in this life doesn't mean we are depressed and defeated people. Instead, Paul says we are, even in the spot, even in the face of suffering, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ. And I don't even fully understand what it means to be more than a conqueror. I just know it means the suffering and hardship of this life can't conquer me through Christ. Can't conquer what Christ has done in me, through me, and for me, what He is going to do. Again, that's not based upon us. It's based upon Jesus. What a mercy bestowed upon us to know that even in the midst of suffering, somehow I'm a more than a conqueror through Christ. Well, that's an amazing thought. And it should lead us to consecrate ourselves to God and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now these are some of the mercies of God that come to us when we repent of our sins and believe upon Jesus Christ. The reality is none of us deserve not a single one of those blessings or those things from God. That's a hard fact, right? We never deserve anything good from God. Everything we do, everything God gives to us, it is an act of His mercy. In Luke 17, Jesus told a story about a, a servant 
to the servant works out in the field. And he does his job. And he comes in. Does the master of the house say, Oh, here, you sit down and let me serve you. He says, No, that's not what he does. He said, The master sits down and says, Now, go ahead and serve me. And he said, At the end of the day, all he says to him is, You have done your duty. Right? You are an unprofitable servant and you have done what was required of you. God never is in our debt. I mean, that, that's, again, that's a hard concept. That smacks against our pride. There is not one thing we looked at there or one thing we could talk about that we deserve, that we have earned and God owes us at no point. Does God ever owe us anything? Instead, every good thing we have in our life, it is a gift and an act of the mercies of God. Man, if we know that, if we really believe that, how could we not be constantly amazed at the mercy God has bestowed upon us? How could we not just give ourselves to Him in consecration and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? So what we're going to do now is, from where we are, we're going to stay here, I'm going to take a few minutes and pray. Pray silently, then I'll lead us in prayer to move, to move us on. And as you pray, focus on praising God for the mercies He has bestowed upon you. Focus on those that were mentioned in the, in the handout. Focus on those that maybe aren't mentioned, but you're thinking, wow, that is a mercy God has shown to me. And, and pray. Say, God, help me to understand your mercies toward me even more. Give me a deeper understanding of how you have shown me mercy in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. Lord, You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We rejoice what we've just looked at, the mercies that You have poured out upon our lives. Father, I am so keenly aware that I have not deserved the least of Your mercies. I have not deserved the smallest ounce of Your favor, and yet You have poured mercy and grace and favor upon my life so abundantly it's almost overwhelming at times. Forgive me, Father, for the times I have arrogantly assumed You owed me or I deserved something from You. Father, constantly remind me Your every work towards me is an act of mercy. Give us a deeper understanding of these things. God, give us a deeper understanding of the, the death Christ died on our behalf. Surely, surely if we truly understand all He went through on our behalf, all He endured because He loved us, surely then we would be moved 
and awed at Your mercy. And never ever begin to believe we were owed anything from You. But Lord, give us a deeper understanding of others. So often, Lord, I I wrestle with negative self-thoughts to understand I'm just accepted in the Beloved. That I am truly free from condemnation, truly adopted as Your child. Let me understand that better. Rest more fully in what that means and in Your approval of of me. Help us, O God, to grow better understanding Your grace, better understanding Your mercy, better understanding Your goodness towards us. Let that produce the right kind of responses in our life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back at Romans 12 here. Romans 12.1 Now Paul calls the end of Romans 12.1 offering ourselves to God our reasonable service. And some translations have it differently. Your spiritual act of worship. but And I like spiritual act of worship. I think the NIV has that. I'm not sure other translations have that I like reasonable service best. Because I like the picture it paints. Because here's what it says. In light of God's mercy, the only rational response is to consecrate yourself to Him. And offer your body as a living sacrifice. Again, if we truly believe, if God's Word is true, and God has really done all of these things, in us, through us, and for us because of Christ, right? Not because of our works or our goodness or, or anything we've earned, but just because of Christ. What is a rational response to a God who does that? What is the only proper response to the Creator, glorious God, who is holy and awesome and Pure, I mean, just perfect in all His ways, and yet He would do all of this for sinful creatures, rebellious people, those who would flaunt Him and reject Him and and move on with life as though He didn't matter so often. And yet He did all of those things for us, knowing we were like that, we would be like that, and we would struggle with being like that, even after He saved us. How do you respond to that kind of goodness? How do you respond to that kind of mercy being offered to you? Well, according to Paul, the only reasonable way to respond is to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Now, when we talk about consecrating ourselves to God and offering our bodies as a living sacrifice... It's talking about all of our lives. So when it says bodies, we're talking about our our mind. So how we think and what we think on. I mean, do you realize the Bible details almost every area of our life, even how we think. It tells us to, to fix your mind on things above. To think on things that are right and true and good and pure. The Bible talks about taking thoughts Captive to the obedience of Christ. To letting the, the, the words of Christ, Christ dwell in us richly. 
It tells us we should think on these things that we shouldn't think on those kinds of things. It tells us how to think about issues of life. The the world tells us how to think. But God's Word also tells us how to think. And when we're surrendering our bodies, offering our bodies a living sacrifice, we're saying, I'm going to give my mind to Christ and I'm going to think the way He wants me to think about everything there is to think about, to the best of my abilities. But we're talking about surrendering our, our hearts. Now, heart was not so much the, the affections in Scripture, although that was a part of it, it was also the, the control center of our lives. So, our, our desires, our actions, our impulses, And the Bible tells us that our hearts are to be pure. The Bible tells us that we're we're not to build idols in our heart. The Bible tells us we're to love God with all of our hearts. The Bible says Christ is to rule in our hearts by faith. So when we say, I'm going to present my body to a living sacrifice, saying I'm surrendering my heart for, for God to guide it like streams of water. So that my affections reflect what God wants me to to love. What God wants me to desire. What God wants me to do in my life. It's our hands. The Bible speaks of our hands as the actions we take. The Psalms talk about having clean hands. Which means holiness in life. So when we say I surrender my body to Christ. I'm saying I'm surrendering the actions I'm going to take in my life. What I'm going to do, everything in my life, I'm going to do it the way God would want it done. No matter what that might be. We're talking about surrendering our our feet. And our feet's where we go. So I'm going to surrender to God when I offer my life as a living sacrifice. I'm going to surrender to God where I go. I'm going to go where He wants me to go and I'm not going to go where He doesn't want me to go. We're going to surrender our eyes, offer our eyes as a living sacrifice. The Bible talks a lot about how we see. Right? We're to, to be like Jesus. So we should see like Jesus. We should see with compassion. We should see opportunities to share the gospel. We should see the hurts and the burdens and the needs of others. We should not see with judgment and we should see with love. We're surrendering our eyes to see all of those kinds of things. Even... How we read the Word. The Bible says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Surrendering our ears to hear. The Bible even talks about how we listen. Right? To certain things we shouldn't listen to. But we should listen to other things. So we're surrendering our ears. The Bible talks about our mouth. The things we say. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But only that which is good for for the edification. The building up of others. So we're saying, I'm going to surrender. I'm offering my mouth as a living sacrifice. And so there's not going to be praise to God one minute and cursing of man in the next. Because sweet water and salt water don't come out of the same spring, right? Isn't that what James says? So we're surrendering our mouths to only say what God would have us to say. There is no aspect of our lives not affected by consecrating ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
when we consecrate ourselves to God and offer our bodies a living sacrifice, we are surrendering our values. I mean, surely we can all see, we all see that there is a vast difference in what the world values and what Scripture says a disciple of Jesus should value. So we're surrendering our values, our priorities. Scripture has, a, has one set of priorities for those who are disciples of Jesus. And the world has another set of priorities for people and how they should live. But we are going to offer our bodies, so we're going to let God determine our priorities. Our attitudes. The world has one group of attitudes they want everybody to have. The Bible has a different kind of attitude believers are to have. Right, We're to be merciful and peacemakers. So we're to surrender our, our attitudes. Our actions, we've talked about how we act and what we do. But not only our actions, but our reactions. Like Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Man, I don't want to do that. Love those that hate you. That's a reaction. We're to, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice so we will react to stressors and issues in the way Jesus would have us to. Our morality. When we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're surrendering our morality and saying culture, culture doesn't determine our morality. My desires don't determine my morality. Scripture, Jesus, determines my morality. My preferences. How I spend my money. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about how we're to spend our money. The world says one thing, but the Bible says something different. Our time. The world says one thing about how to use your time, but, but the Bible says something different. To redeem the time. Our hopes, our dreams, our plans. When we consecrate ourselves to God and offer our bodies a living sacrifice, we are surrendering all of these things to God. All of those are what's meant, part of what's meant, to consecrate ourselves to God by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, with this, Implied in the idea of consecrating ourselves to God is a, a moment where we actually do it. But a moment in time where we say, God, here I am. I give myself to you. And it's, it's implied in the idea of consecration, but it's explicitly stated in, he, in Romans. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present there refers to a specific moment in time in which you give yourself and you say, God, here I am. I am offering, I am presenting my body to you so I can live as a living sacrifice. And part of what this means for us is consecrating ourselves to God by being a living sacrifice. It's not necessarily automatic. Now, I don't like that idea, honestly. I, I think it should be automatic. I think it should be a part of what we understand when we come to know Christ as Savior. When we repent of our sins, we believe in Jesus Christ, we're consecrating ourselves to God. But that's not what it says. And if I'm being honest, I don't think I understood all that when I got saved. The night I got saved, I just didn't want to go to hell. Really badly, I did not want to go to, go to hell. The understanding of presenting myself to God as a living sacrifice came later. And so consecrating ourselves to God isn't something that's necessarily been done. You may be a believer. You may have repented of your sins, believed in Jesus Christ. 
But you've never gone to the specific act of saying, here I am. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I consecrate myself to you, God, to live wholly for you and the way you want in every area of my life. It is something we all have to do intentionally if it's going to be done. There must be a moment in time where we intentionally, specifically, consecrate ourselves to God, present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice, saying, God, here I am. I give all of myself to You. So what we're going to do now is give an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask all, come to the altars if you want to. The altar is kind of a good picture because the altar is what it pictures where the sacrifices were. Or you can stay where you are. This is the time to make that moment in time where you say, Here I am. I consecrate myself to you. I present my body to you so I can be a living sacrifice. So I ask all that would come to the altar. Again, pray me more. One last thing before we dismiss. Paul says we are a a living sacrifice. And the main difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice is the living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. Particularly if it is put up there of its own accord. If it is a, a willing choice the sacrifice has made to get up on the altar as we make. So what this means for us is while there is that moment in time where we have to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, consecrate ourselves, 
As much as I would like to say tonight you have prayed and you are consecrated and that's, that's the end of the struggle. It's just not how it works. Instead, tomorrow, tonight, things are going to come up and there will be an opportunity to do what God has said not to do, to have the world's values, to have the world's actions, the world's reactions. And that moment we have to choose to stay on the altar and let God determine our values, let God determine our actions and our reactions. We have to consecrate ourselves to God by continually offering ourselves to God as this living sacrifice. It is something that must be done over and over again. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Follow me. Consecrating ourselves to God by offering our bodies as living sacrifice. It is a definite act where we say this is today from this moment on. But then each and every day we have to renew that commitment to be consecrated to God. To be offering our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. Right, if you'll stand, we'll be dismissed in prayer.